you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. What's weird is it's always been, it used to always be like that when you couldn't count on what your landing environment was. You know, so much of what I used to do installs like at Ameritech or it was all the defensive code that you put in that would check what it was capable first and then kind of use the right ports and size things appropriately. And then they started to make it that installers got smart and did all that for you and I didn't have to do it. So now I was spoiled. You know what I mean? (laughs) Spoiled. I always, you what? No, sorry. I always thought that that was a perfect thing by that meaning. I've always liked places where people say, if I solve this really well, and it's really a pain point for lots of other people, they will indeed pay me to do this. You know what I mean? For, for that, just kind of like ins- installation, like how to manage not only to individual boxes, which is what it was back then, but once you want to browsers and server farms and stuff like that, how do I roll it out slowly, I can limit the percentage of the actual number of boxes and then look for cries of pain because, hey, something broke. You know, we did, I I just was talking about Topica a lot recently because that was the dot-com that I worked for. And we had some really brilliant release engineers, operations people that knew how to handle all that. How to like, the way we guaranteed uptime was not by throwing it all out there and seeing what happens. It was by doing continual small releases, incremental releases, checking everything and and responding quickly, and they were really good at troubleshooting, like, so why would that be? And I just, again, they spoiled me because I had to manage, like, the people who did it, the code that we were pushing, all the testing that we did. But once we handed off the package, you know, here's the changes to the data, and here's the changes to our our website and the data running behind it, they really were good at all the initial installation and all the scaling and all of the, like when we would really open the sluices and start to get all the net traffic, we used to have a, a wow. Hope you don't mind a little another trip like down memory lane. <laughs> that memory, you know, old timey memory lane. No. Well, it's kind of funny that being only 20 years, but back when things, when the net was getting bigger, you know, the, the, the World Wide web had only been around, let's say since the early nineties and the incredible scaling that it did from going from, you know, um, brochureware to actual interaction to multiple versions, potentially on different kinds of boxes and stuff, a whole bunch of stuff had to be done smartly to enable you to do that. So we had a thing called the big IP that enabled you to treat like traffic as a stream that it wasn't the internet of courses, individual connections, you know, point to point, one of the, one of the great illustrative books was, you know, where they talked about, um, now, why have I lost the title? It, that that the internet really wasn't a big vendor putting it out to all of its customers. It was a series of individuals talking to each other. And if you were going to stay an individual, be able to handle 100,000 individuals come in, you had to be able to handle that traffic. And so we had things that did that, that let you monitor the levels and let you see where people were actually getting the equivalent of a, of a denial of service attack. You had so much coming in that the internet, 
it doesn't pause a second to figure out what's wrong. It just tries to route around the damage. You know, that's become actually kind of how I've run my life ever since I discovered the internet <laughs> is that you don't really spend a lot of time dealing with obstacles and roadblocks and people who are that. You just kind of say, well, what I care about is getting the job done. And you just leave them sitting there in their little hissy fit and go around them. Right. Having said that, you had to have the tools that enables you to quickly identify those places and be able to get around them without um, some places got to be really good at trying to do that kind of blockage. You know, that you, they throw false traffic or things that would make you do a certain amount of computer work in order to handle it. And just out of, it's like setting an army of ants against you. If every ant is getting a little bite, it becomes difficult. Right. Like I said, we had uh, one guy worked with Mark that went on to work at Google. He was so good at that gestalt of seeing this isn't, you know, individuals, point-to-point communication. You have to treat this as this this ocean, this ever-shifting sea of stuff. And how do you optimize that? Not even make it perfect, but just continually little incremental betterments and little incremental fallbacks if something's wrong. It was it, He was a maestro. You know what I mean? The same way that I try to be really proficient about certain things. He just, it was cool to watch him work, to watch the things that he would try. We talked about a little bit about this with troubleshooting, that it isn't only that you know a lot about it, you know what to try first. You know, like where you're going to get the most information from, right. what's the highest probability of something being wrong. And he was just, him, probably the, all five of our operations guys were really good at that. But he's the one that I remember just being if I got him in place, I really have confidence that he can handle anything that the world, the world throws at you. Literally. So, well, anyway. you know, speaking back in the day, I remember getting on uh, Windows 3.1 and they had multiple uh, plug-in kind of apps for <laughs> like menus uh, because, you know, 3.1 was really just a base GUI over top of DOS. Right. Um, and it, it became difficult. You still had to like type a lot of commands. So these menu managers tried to help you with that. And I remember playing this game that had full motion video, which was really cool at the time. Yeah. Uh, the game kind of sucked, but I couldn't get it to run right. And I called the support and got the developer in his home. That was the support <laughs> line. And he's right. on the phone talking to me, trying to figure this out. Windows 3.1. It's like 11 o'clock at night here. So it was you know, 10 there or something. And uh, what it turns out is that menu manager was interfering with a spot in memory that he was using for this game. So I shut the menu manager down. And But, you know, people nowadays would have no clue, you know, because it's right. so different. The, the environment is so yeah. completely you different. Know, one of the ways in which I made my bones as a, as a consultant was, it wasn't just that I went there and did my job. I was often the one called in to say, hey, something's funny. Can you figure this out? And it wasn't only my figuring it out, but you start to accumulate tools. So um, Ameritech had a mixed environment, both Windows and Macintosh. And often people were so spoiled by the Mac because it was so easy to use that when anything went funny, it was like, oh, it's a virus. And no, let's. And so they did have, there was a, a tool called Conflict Catcher that was around, in, you know, in, like kind of before Mac OS went to full Linux that had been bought from BOS. Um, that it really did matter based on placement in memory and collisions of the kinds you're talking about in what order various different extensions loaded. And this would be the one that would, um, you could um, run your entire set and then it would say, okay, is, is something is happening. Yes. And then it would like turn off half of them 
and then say, run it again. And if the problem's gone, you know, do the binary search, if you will, guided by you saying it's gone or now it's still there. And it would help you find out, here's what's funny about that. And it was one of the first ones that instead of just working on your machine, it kind of reported back to the mothership with your permission. And it started to accumulate this vast database of all the conflicts between this little um, sound manager and, uh, you know, the ways in which other places used sound, expected sound to be only out of your headphone port, if you will, but sometimes not. And it really was a lifesaver for those tricky things where it's like, man, I, I thought I had completely troubleshot it by doing my usual set of tricks, but by automating the brute force way of eliminating suspects, if you will, it saved my bacon on my home system in a number of times. And actually that I just did a big install of um, the, the Pegasus spyware is out there and it's attacking, you know, um, Android phones and iOS and also the Mac. And what it is, is in, in brief, this is, you know, this is high geekery. Yeah, um, explain it because I, I had no clue what it was. Right. It's so um, a company called uh, the NOS, if I remember it, I think an Israeli based company developed software that was going to be used to um, monitor its enemies so that they would get early word of like attacks on the state of Israel or especially for cyber warfare, not necessarily physical stuff, but so they, they um, could monitor like uh, without even being like classic spyware, malware, etc., requires you to do some kind of interaction. Oops, I clicked on a bad link. I opened a bad Excel file, a bad PDF, whatever else it might be, things that have any kind of embedded coding and can cause data overflows and various different standard exploits. This it was called Pegasus because it really could fly through the air and get on your phone. You didn't have to do a thing except that it would test various different things. And in the iOS world, uh, you know, um, they, they, you should call it um, safe cracking, if I'm jailbreaking, jailbreaking. Right. And in the Android world, it's you know, getting root, if you will. Well, it could do that without you doing anything, without you knowing anything. And so there was kind of then this uneasy, well, we know you're using it, but you're using your powers for good. So uh, even though we're getting reports of maybe something like it is out there. We want you to keep your your company safe, your nation safe, etc. Then it comes out that they had actually sold that software to Saudi Arabia and others, and that they weren't only using their powers for good. They were actually monitoring who they thought were enemies of the state, but who they thought were enemies of the state were journalists, were dissidents, were the, the Arab Spring people. And as you know, once something's out there, you can't like, kind of like Armor Wars from Iron Man. You can't take your tech back. It takes on a life of its own and gets itself captured and mutated and so forth. So now it's really out there where they're discovering it's on all kinds of like um, a list of something like, is it 10,000, 50,000 names of people that this thing has been discovered on? And it's not just bad guy, terrorist bomber. It's like Hollywood figures. It's... Well People that it's made, McCarthyism again. Honestly, well, what somebody at these companies that bought it, they kind of, I, I, my, the picture in my mind, and I, this is all speculation now. I know that what I said up until now is relatively almost, you know, truth. It's all true. But they kind of said, you know, I'd like to know what Lindsay Lohan is doing. And like, what the fuck? And yet there's people that it, it isn't always 
one guy and one company that maintains its goodness. All you need to do is set up a great system and then have some insidious guy get in there and say, man, I could do some stuff with this. Well, you know, what's to <laughs> stop them from, you know, well, that guy cut me off on the freeway. I got his license plate number and now I'm monitoring him. Oh, it, now I've figured out his bank account number and I can get in because we know people are stupid with that stuff. You know, there's apps People, oh, play this fun game, answer these questions and share it with 20 people. What's your favorite, your first dog? Where was your first street? Folks, those are the same questions they ask you for yeah. passwords. And, but it was free. You yeah. know, the flashlight app we've talked about. Right. You know, well, it's this about Pegasus in specific. It, it sure looks like it started off as being that, that reasonable tool. But then it, like, if you look at, if you try to do the, the relationship map, the contact tracing of all these people, it looks like kind of what you just said. Oh, um, this guy got pissed off at his banker because he got refused a loan. So he started to monitor the banker, I guess, to discover dirt or to cause some kind of ha hassle for him. And then he said, well, now I'm discovering that he does have these other friends. And one of them is Jeffrey Epstein. And again, I'm only speculating, but the web seemed to be expanded to where it was very personal in some cases. It wasn't at all keep the state safe. It wasn't, you know what I mean? So, so. Apple finally had to say, you know, this is kind of what they call a zero-day exploit. You can get it at any time. It's out in the wild. It's been seen. It's not that we just saw this recreated in a lab. And so kind of sad and funny, Apple's doing a huge product announcement today about their latest version of all their various different things. And as of like yesterday, they released this software update because you sure don't want to see it go south while they're doing it live. You don't want to have the um, media impact be hey, we got all these great new products, but don't look over here at how it looks like they're full of right. Swiss cheese full of holes. You, you so, don't want to be on stage and have Max Headroom pop up on the main screen. Like that, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I've, I've taken the liberty of removing windows from my operating system, says Hal, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So I'm glad that there still are all kinds of white hats, good guys that detect this. And, and some, you know, uh, one of the things that I saw was, unfortunately, Apple has a, a bounty system. When they find various different bugs that might cause um, hassle or actual takeover or data loss or whatever, they pay the people who covered these things like serious money, up to like $200,000 to discover something that could be that damaging because, you know, a dollar loss times 20 million users <laughs> quickly blows up. Well, someone was saying, you need to up your bounty, $200,000 is not a lot to this guy that says, I can sell it for $10 million over here to Evil Core, and they're going to be happy to exploit this. And so companies really are having to like deal with international issues, nation states, terrorist organizations. You can't have something, you, you love the fact that Android phones and iPhones are everywhere, and a lot of people depend on them, but then they're also the way in. You know what I mean? They're right. <laughs> and, 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 okay, uh, here, I'm looking up real quick. <laughs> what was, uh, oh, there, uh, you know whose fault this is? Absolutely, it goes all the way back to Superman 4. It's Richard Pryor's fault, going after all those half cents. That's what, <laughs> that's what started it all. That's, that's the standard, the salami slice attack. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I used to talk about that, and apparently then somebody else did it, where, like, if you're looking for how to make a little bit of money, you know, every time that a bank rounds down instead of up so that it doesn't give you the extra interest. Well, this guy found a way of capturing that and was making like $18,000 a day from all those little bits of money that weren't missed. They weren't real. 
and yet they were rerouted instead of just dropped on the floor. So, yes, I'm not sure how much of those have become urban legend, did it really happen? And yet it's, you know what I mean? It The kinds of, some of the ways in which they get exploits are so, like, ridiculous that you're like, wow. So someone thought of that and then immediately discarded it because that's not possible. And somebody else said... I'm a 13-year-old. I got tons of time on my hand. I want to make my bones as a, a hacker penetrator. And it's amazing some of the things, the clever things that have been come up with. Well, you know, if only they use their powers for good instead. You know. <laughs> there's a problem in the author world where um, bad people are just flat out stealing books and putting a generic cover on it, changing the author name and putting it back up on Kindle. Literally, you know, they can get this done in minutes and they're just going through and finding all the new books published, pulling them down, getting, right. just putting it back up. So every day, thousands of books under different, under different author names and they're getting caught, they're getting stopped, but you know, they're creating a hundred different accounts. So right. you stop one account and they just move to another one and keep going. And even if they only do one, two sales, they're still making enough money out of all those thousands before they get caught. Exactly. And, I, it, I, you know, and that's nothing to do with the security on your phone, on your computer. You right. know, It's just the ease of once something is digital, it's so easily copied. I mean, that's kind of one of the fears when, when we're now 25 years, let's say past the era of, um, are we going to allow for copying of music, transfer of music or not? Because a lot of the artists were worried about it being, well, they're going to make free copies everywhere. And there goes my revenue stream. And a lot of other places were like, but if you want to get it out there, you could treat this as a loss leader, make your money off of concerts. So we've been through all those generations. But even before that was going on, I remember being aware. I would, um, uh, let me think of the name of the district in Tokyo. I want to say like Ginzu, but I don't think that's it. There was an entire multi-block stretch where when you went to visit Japan, you could get every single movie, CD, etc., all copied. Their attitudes towards intellectual property, and there, you know what I mean? I don't mean to defame the entire nation of Japan, but they sure closed one eye and looked the other way in a lot of cases at the massive piracy that was going on, let's, let's say in general, in Asia. They really, they haven't always created their own stuff. They uh, don't lease or license stuff. They just take it and resell it. They rebundle it. And not in a way that they've added any content, any like, hey, I made some commentary, so there's still some value here. They just stole it, and they kept open as long as they could to get away with it. And I don't know, if you're going to make $10,000 a day, and Officer Friendly will take a 1000 of that as his share, but doesn't shut you down, those black markets have existed, gray markets have existed forever. Absolutely. And for everything, for computer equipment, for media content, et cetera, et cetera. And Tennis I, shoes. Uh, I just, you know, I was on the side of copy protection so long as it didn't get in the way. Some of the really ridiculous draconian things that were done that you, you had a, a CD that had a little um, particular sector that was actually burnt. And that when you had to play your game, you had to put that CD in and it would detect that. Um, unreadable but detectable flaw and that's how they knew you had a particular serial number whatever just put the marker on it just put the highlighter Honestly. marker in. and then you find out that like okay they did this whole copyright protection scheme and what does it take well i just put a a, a paper clip on the diskette and that defeated it yeah or whatever else it might be and so that battle back and forth 
was one of the first like tech chasms that I saw where people were piracy all was bad, piracy all was good, but not like, well, how do we find the rapport, the rep, you know, that's going to like get artists paid, but not let it be at the wholesale piracy stuff. And actually, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons that Apple was so successful with iTunes was because it was one of the first places that said, what's the reasonable amount of money that we can offer the convenience of getting to a whole bunch of different songs for a buck and that it isn't worth the legal risk or the hassle of going to all the various different streaming sites using all your various different, you know, um, sorry, nose is a bit itchy here. Allergies have been bad. Yeah. The, the various different clients that people had, you know, uh, Napster, um, they found whatever that magic thing was exactly back in the days of Napster and, like celebrity hackers, you know what I mean? That he, I, I freed music. Well, you stole music, and you know what I mean. So, and then, and then, unfortunately, so Apple had a pretty good deal for like one or two years. And then I remember particular bands were like, you know, my music that's not a dollar. That's going to be two. That's going to be a buck and a quarter. And then they had to start doing all the incremental pricing. And everybody would comment on the Eagles is worth a buck and a quarter, whereas the Beatles are not. How about if you fuck right off? You know what I mean? So, so, and actually I, Beatles is a very bad example because they didn't go digital for a long time. Yeah. Apple, yeah. other Apple <laughs> held very tightly control of all their stuff because they were kind of, I think, waiting to see how all that played out. They knew Garth that there was like that on too. vinyl and on CD and they didn't have to go digital by any stretch. Whereas other artists, by going digital, they got far vaster distribution than if they had just stayed yeah. in the record stores. But they didn't necessarily make that much money. So, you know, again, right. it's got problems. And going back to the, the Chinese movies, I mean, we've probably both seen it. You see the the bad copied uh, DVD with the, the grainy covers and... And it's, you know, it's Star Wars, but it's like talking like it's a street race movie. And, you know, and it's right. like calling up, uh, call the just, translations, yeah, all the, exactly. yeah. And then they have like pictures from like Alien on the cover also. And you have Han Solo shooting Alien. And then you have Predator on the back holding a lightsaber. And it's all this wacky crap. Right. They, they don't know <laughs> all of it. And it's like, okay. And then I love uh, if you see one. It's some guy in a movie theater, and like it's moving around because he's holding the camera, and it's all shaky and and dark. Exactly. And, and it's like, come on, that, that you know, even just that, the actual creating of false content that's been around for a long time. Too. Yeah, you know what I mean. I just, it's kind of amazing how, like, people are so bold as to steal so openly. I, I, you know, I've been really good about honoring intellectual property because I was early on an author, a magazine writer, whatever else it might be. I was like, you know, I really should get most of the benefit from this. I didn't let the agent screw me out of it. I'm not going to let you, the thief, screw me out of it either. But you also had an idea of, so here's my, here's my, every, every show has a confession. <laughs> I had, I never bought a bootleg vinyl. There were, I used to, you know, in college towns, there's often multiple stores that have Right. Well, here's something that was a Grateful Dead album that was captured like live from the soundboard. It's really good quality. And so if you want live Grateful Dead, here it is. I never bought a single thing of those until I found a Frank Zappa box set, 10 albums. This is still back in vinyl with like a libretto. It was such a labor of love that this guy had like followed the Zappa band on tour. And so he documented 
here's what was going on at the show. Here's the personnel changes. Here's how these various different versions are different. You know, Mud Shark on, on LP5 is different than Mud Shark on LP3. And I just was so much a Zappa fan and so enamored of this guy really did not just steal. He has put work into this. It stinks that it's Zappa and I don't want to take any money from Frank Zappa. And yet I, I gave in that one. I had to have this thing. It was the only boot that I think I've ever, ever bought. And then they started to have artists that actually found out some of these boots are as good as anything I've ever done. Why do a live album? Why not go with this thing? That's a fan favorite. They talk about that Springsteen show and, and, uh, when when he returned to Asbury Park, it's just them and on fire. The Grateful Dead kind of pushed and oh. supported that. They actually had area that you could bring recorders and sit in the way back in the seventies. Bootleggers roll those tapes is the famous yeah. quote. Exactly that. So, and oh. and there's there's greatness there <laughs> morally um, mm-hmm. because like Def Leppard's probably my favorite band. I mm-hmm. have. I think five different versions of hysteria with all the deluxe stuff and extras things. Okay. I've purchased them, the big ones for a hundred bucks and all that. I didn't know that. I didn't know they were your favorite band. That's oh, yeah. Okay. Love Leopard. I've got a Leopard yeah. thing right there. I uh, see it. Exactly. Rush and Led Zeppelin are very close. There's a bunch of others that are, but Leopard's always been, um, and I've got their, what, four live albums, double live albums. I've got those, okay. but I do also have a couple bootlegs because it was, early stuff that somebody had a recorder and captured and it's fun to hear when they were boys they're 18 uh, rick allen was what 15 16 i was gonna say i knew that he started like young like he couldn't drink in the bars right yeah. outside the studio like, right. Right you know what i mean right. so, <laughs> I, I mean i own every album multiple times that they've done they've come out with remasters and i i purchased them the only thing i haven't gotten lately is the big box sets they do with the lps and extra stuff um just because I'm like, eh, I don't really listen to LPs. So there's the grayness. I, I have a couple bootlegs from early days or from a particular city, like Cleveland. They didn't record a live album in Cleveland, but somebody, well, that's my hometown. I want to hear what it was like. I was at that show, you know, that yeah. type of thing. So there's the moral ground. Now, if I met the, the guys and said, hey, I, I've got every album you've got, Plus these couple bootlegs, are they gonna like call the police? Or are they gonna be like, well, thanks for supporting that? You know, there's the question. It depends on the band. I think Metallica would probably call the police on you. Other bands, I don't think would. Right. Lars Ulrich was known for being just, you know, we will come after you. You don't yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, in the make, made fun. He had a song called, you know, <laughs> don't don't. Sorry, uh, don't copy, copy. Don't download this song. Don't download the song. Exactly that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So here's here's my question with the Chinese movie thing though, mm-hmm. because if you look at movies nowadays, at like the companies that are you know all whatever production company and this uh, something like uh, half or more of all the movies that come out are owned by Chinese companies. So are they still allowing all these movies to be sold on the streets over in Bangkok or somewhere? Honestly, isn't that the way it often goes, is that when the thieves get in business for themselves, then suddenly they realize, well, we can't let happen to us what we did to get here. And they have to become their own enforcers. They They actually get like a taste of, oh, that sucks. You know, we worked hard to do this. We did, and and a third of our whatever is getting siphoned away. So 
it often depends on whose ox is getting gored. And indeed, when someone puts together that bundle and then sees a booth one down that took their bundle and just slapped it down under their cover on it, right. you know what I mean? How do you, hey, you stole that better than me. Right. You know, what's defensible about that? And, and yeah. I know this is still a moral gray ground. I'm not saying one way or the other, but what about you have a favorite band from the 60s? Some band that you loved, you remember listening to it. You have an LP, but it got warped in the sun. It broke after 40 years of it. It's wore mm. out. So it's just, <laughs> and they don't have it. You can't find it on Spotify. You can't find the album on right. Amazon. And you keep checking eBay and it, no one's selling it. You can't find it anywhere. So then is how how gray morally imperfect is it right. that so you listen to it, it on YouTube or download yes. it from somebody that yeah. digitize it or whatever. You're, you're I, willing to pay for it, but they don't offer it. It's, yeah. so it's again, it's all great. I think, every, you know, different people have different feelings on all of that. Honestly, and, and not now it's kind of funny, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. So um, Apple early, but wasn't the only one to say, well, we have a way of finding a way to get money back to the artists while still making it more digitally available. And then now what is, what do you have? You have Spotify, you have multiple big. And from what I understand, you know, artists regularly talk about, Hey, I had 10 million listens of this and I got a check for 500 bucks. How the fuck does that make sense? How is right. that fair? How is that decent? And so those big aggregators that have found a way to, you know, it used to be that the record labels exploited artists by charging for studio time and making sure that, you know, however much money that album made, there were so many expenses that here's your check for a pittance. And only the ones that were bold enough, the, the um, King Crimson's and the Steve Vai's and the people that made sure they held on to their publishing rights and make sure that they caught a better deal with the companies, the agents, they're the only ones that could really make not only a, a good living, but the fortune off of being the biggest band in the world. You know, Rolling Stones had to have Rolling Stone level lawyers to make sure that they weren't the first 10 years of their career. I'm pretty sure they were exploited like everybody else. And finally, that stopped happening. But the tale of the tape has always been that the Shania Twain's coming up. People are looking to say, hey, I can make your dreams come true and I'll get 90 percent. Do you what, what, what? And yet people want fame. They want their music out there. There's all kinds of motivators. It really is weird how. That's a very accepted thing. I think there's a whole generation, maybe two generations, that really think, nope, all that content should be free. If I can watch a movie on YouTube, if I can listen to something on Spotify, and in fact, Spotify is the one we know about commercial. There's so much free everything out there. They're not fighting with us. They're not trying to get the artists get due recompense for what they've done. They'll just like, there was another artist over here. You know, screw you guys if you're going to fight it. (laughs) The younger kids, again, they get everything. And they get access to everything we grew up with along with the new stuff. So, again, they have a different mindset to them. It's like, well, I get everything. And if I don't get it, oh, I can get it on YouTube. And there's no moral ambiguity there. Um, And I remember I've I've been listening to iHeartRadio and Brian Adams. uh, They have a little thing you know, top 10 Brian Adams songs on iHeartRadio. Okay, whatever. But they have a little thing by him where he's like, yeah, you know, my first album uh, that went double platinum cuts like a knife. Uh, I said, hey, that's great. We're, we're you know, we, we made it. Where's the money? They said, oh, no, you don't have any money. It's just paying back just to get there. You got to do another album to make some money. <laughs> Honestly, that that's so much, like, that's such a stereotype of all the, you know, kind of twirling their snidely whiplash <laughs> mustache people. Right. That the from Colonel Parker on with Elvis and everybody else that has been 
enabling their career, but exploiting the hell out of them. And they find out, you know what I mean? Spinal Tap makes fun of that. You know, here's, anyway, it, I'm glad that for those who were able to do the, the, the new world, make that transition from physical to digital and control their content enough. So for instance, I think I mentioned, I really like Marillion. They're one of my favorite bands. They early on saw the world is going digital. Um, we don't even have a current record deal. They went to the fans and said, hey, we'd like to make another album. Um, if you sponsor us, you'll get your name in the liner notes saying thank you. And they got, like, I, I wish I had exact numbers because I'd like to be able to cite this chapter and verse. Let's say 30,000 fans were willing to pony up five, 10 bucks. Well, that's a million bucks. You know what I mean? You get quickly to what it might take to have them have dedicated in their own, build their own studio time and all that kind of stuff. And they have now done that for the last dozen albums. You know, they're very much a success story for like that. But I'm pretty sure that there's all kinds of, they are one of the ones, for instance, that they've made lots of recordings from the soundboard. The bootlegs were coming out and they were saying, well, we have a really good recording to compete with that. And so there's a lot of bands that are good at managing themselves but the problem with that is some member of the band or the individual artist has to say, well, I'm not going to be making music full time. I got to be my own manager, my own lawyer. I got to, I got to have my own set of sharks to make sure that the other sharks are not exploiting me. And we talked about this a little bit. One of the things I always kind of, when I was early said, I'd love to be a Medici. I want to find the people who's, I want to see their art come into the world. And what do I do? Remove real world concerns from them by sponsoring them with the Genius MacArthur grant or by helping them on Kickstarter and GoFundMe and all those kinds of things. That's another cool thing that has happened, as you know, that with all those funding sites, it really was that the artists could have that much more direct a relationship with their consumers, their fans. And I really like the fact that maybe those sites are making a certain amount, but from what I understand, it really is what you'd want it to be. 2%, 5%, 10%, some small thing, and they count on the volume of what's being done and the number of returnees that say, hey, Ted Sikora doing my next Opama and Tap Dance Killer and Bloom, yeah. like their cut was sufficient to be able to, I got to do this, like keep my cost down because they pre-sponsored me. I got in the deal is good instead of it being, well, here's a good site, but they take 50%. Like I think self-publishing has not hit self comic book publishing or self music making anywhere near as much, right? No. Self-publishing is still that the deal is very much in Amazon's well, favor or in Morris press or whatever else it might be. So with that, I mean, you know, Kickstarter and Patreon are the two that I've used a lot and support some people on and all that. Well, I know there is a thing in Amazon that you can publish a comic book. They have a, a, a desktop app and it, you can put it all together and you publish something. And I said this about a year ago and Colin argued with me saying, no, 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 no. Well, Amazon bought Comixology a while back. Right. Well, they're shutting, still there. Exactly. they're shutting Comixology down and moving it all to Amazon with the Kindle. And I said, I guarantee they're going to do for the comics like they've done with the other publishing. They're going to have more people putting their own stuff up there. So you just need to have a guy that can write and a guy that can draw, and you can put it up digitally for the world. So I think that's going to change things, especially for the younger generation. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. I still do not read usually on a Kindle. I, for whatever reason, like physical things, I'll lay down in bed and read them. But almost all my other stuff, you know, when I bring up comicsology, it's here on the screen, and I'll go through – 
oh, here's the latest, I don't know, six-issue series from Lock and Key done as a pseudographic novel. You know what I mean? Like, I, there's any, I, I'm still finding my way as to how comfortable am I with this size versus the phone size versus my big, I have big monitors. I have, you know, Skyland up here. Um, and I have, like, little older eyes. You know what I mean? I, I can't necessarily, when I have to read it with glasses, it's like, maybe I should go to a place where I don't have to read it with glasses and I can pump it up. Oh, well, you can see those things changing still because yeah. the, the first shot at it isn't necessarily, usually you need like two, three, four iterations right. before you find that sweet spot of that's what Microsoft are making it, companies making enough, consumers are easy to, you know, finding it. There's power to each one of those approaches where if I want to look up a quick comic book, I don't want to necessarily, I want to go to Google and see what it does. And then if it keeps saying, well, most of that stuff is on comicsology, it's like, well, I'll go to the primary source. But then there's some places that, kind of keep it to themselves you know they they make a point of retaining control instead of giving any kind of share to somebody else and it really isn't that hard to find you just have to go to page two but i'm sure there are statistics that say you've just shot yourself in the foot if you don't get onto the first page of google if you don't get the search engine results that let people even discover you in the first place you know so wow (laughs) so talking about movies and comic (laughs) books Yes. There has been a plethora of things coming out. We've got all the Disney shows. We've got new movies in the theater. We've got the trailers that are out. That's so right. What, what's, what's been your thoughts? <laughs> and spoilers, anybody, we're talking movies that are out. If you haven't seen them, too bad. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's kind of, I, so I, I am, uh, I'm going back to theaters. If I go, and I, I think I've talked about this, you go on a Monday or Tuesday afternoon, you have the place to yourself, or there's one or two other people in there. So not only do I go in masked and interact with all the human beings that way, but when I get in the theater, I can look around and say, okay, popcorn, I can now eat you. because." Right. And it's usually there. a $5 day. <laughs> and exactly that. It's a little bit less expensive. I'm still in the Cinemark Club, and I, I was, but I let lapse because of COVID, all those things. I'm going to see which ones are worth signing up for again because they all have different deals. This is, you know, one movie a month. This is unlimited movies, but it's three times as expensive. Am I really going to go that often? Having said that, I went to see, so Colleen and I went to see Free Guy. I think we talked about this before, and I, I found it uh, going to a big theater with the big screen and the big sound is just a wonderful, more yeah. immersive experience than even me with my relatively big TV at home or my monitor or my phone or whatever you're doing yeah. to scale back down. So that's kind of what Colleen and I have done for a long time is we tend to go to, I guess, more Al movies, the big spectacular comic book right. movies or that kind of thing. <laughs> but here. but and, and honestly, not always. We want to see like uh, Capote because sometimes what you want is Shut the whole rest of the world out. This is going to be a cool, intense experience and only pay attention to it for two hours. Don't let the world intrude. So I went to see Shang-Chi, you know, Legend of the of the Ten Rings, and it was great. Yeah. It, it's um, different than comic books as I'm discovering, you know, all my idea of canon, all my knowledge of all the comic books that I've read. Within 10 minutes, you're like, what? No, he's not. It's not the Mandarin. It was Fu Manchu. Enjoy it for what it is. <laughs> you take it for what it is. The MCU is a whole different universe. And Marvel is absolutely, as you know, playing into that. I'm jumping around. The What If animated series it's amazing. is absolutely going with the metaverse is big. There anything you think should have happened, could have happened in the comic book world. There is indeed a world where... Um, somebody else was bitten by the radioactive spider. Somebody else found Thor's hammer. Name it. You know what I mean? All those things. Somebody else's parents got shot in the alleyway. 
not from Marvel, but it will come from DC. So having said that, and they're very clever so far with introducing some of the main themes that have happened with Marvel, like there is a whole zombie universe. Right. There is a whole, you know, Doctor Strange, and he's already multidimensional. Well, he should be at the middle of all this discussion of all the dimensions and all the vibratory planes and all the whole different universes that are available in the Marvel Universe. So there, having said that, I have always liked the fact that Marvel um, had kind of continuity. They really did introduce things that were new, but they always tried to say, well, here's how it still fits with what we have. They had continuity cops that would talk about, you know, don't just keep throwing out the past. Make sure that you could retcon this back in or that it made sense somehow. And some of this stuff, it seems to me to be a huge opening up of, all right, that's not exactly how it went for Kang. And yet the Marvel was very clever about Kang is not only Kang, he was also Ramatut and he was the Scarlet Centurion and he had various different persona persona within the, the because over time you have you know a limited amount but now they're they're playing with so is he really a good or a bad guy is he really um sometimes the way you get bad guys to become good guys is because you have a common enemy because they're such a big bad like thanos that even the bad guys say well i don't want to cease to exist i don't want to i don't want right. the universe gone and so they're clever in some ways but they're also really degrading and deteriorating all the work that they did over the last 60 years to kind of have it all tied together. And so I'm waiting to see what happens. And I'm not only one way or the other. And I really get, wow, that's clever. And I really get, oh, what a waste. I have a kind of alternate, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, Spider-Man is more than one Spider-Man now. There's a Spider-Verse in the world, you know, yeah. and in the future. And, and Peter Parker hangs up his webs and all that kind of stuff. And I guess some of my biggest objections is, so the Shang-Chi movie, to return to that, um, they've thrown out so much of what the background of Shang-Chi was in the comic books. There's no Dennis Nayland Smith and him working for the British Secret Service and no Black Jack Tar and his associates there. It's very much put back in Asia and never called the Mandarin directly, but it definitely is the Mandarin with the Ten Rings and not Ten Rings on your fingers, but of course on the arm. So they're, they're working with it. But they also then, like, they... They may have an appearance at the end. We're like, so now is he going to be an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Now is he going to be summoned by Doctor Strange to fight in another dimension? There's so much expanding the universe that it's really up in the air as to, so he's just a martial arts guy, but he does have the rings. And so how powerful is he really? Could he battle the Hulk? Oh, he's supposed to be super powerful. (laughs) Well, here's my thing. And, And Colin is like that a lot where he's like, well, that's not how it is. That's not his history. And they're missing this. And I'm like, you know, hold on. I approach it more as, like, let's look at Stephen King. If you read a Stephen King novel, there's some good ones, there's some bad ones. We know Stephen King has his own way of writing sometimes. He has good points about his writing and some bad points about his writing. So, you know, it's not a perfect anything. But in general, the movies kind of (laughs) suck. And they're just not that good. You know? When he let go creative control, he's talked about that. That now that he's more involved, it really is true to his stories. But maximum, there's any number of ones that were just like such, not even a B, a C movie, and like started off with a good story and were corrupted. Right. So, anyway. so, <laughs> so one of my favorites was the short story for Jer- Jerusalem's Lot. And they have that show Chapel Weight on Epics. And it's not, it's a reimagining of it, but they're combining the the novel and that short story and doing their own thing. 
And my take has been with Marvel, with Stephen King, all of this is I have the books. I have the comic books. I have that history. I can enjoy it. It doesn't change any of that. This is just another take on it. And really, you've seen it a million times. If you try and take 50 years of a comic and put it into a two-hour movie, the movie's going to suck. So Absolutely. They really had Spider-Man movie that had six villains instead of one. It's like, why? This guy is absolutely worth your full attention. Anyway. Right. So (laughs) I think they've nailed it for the movies pretty good on that balance between keeping the character true to form but not overloading audiences who don't know anything about them. You know, nobody knew Shang-Chi. It, that movie could have flopped big time because people are like, well, who cares? It's not Iron Man. It's not, uh, you know, right. Steve Rogers. It but, does have great casting. And not only oh, yeah. the casting is good, but everybody's very capable. And Marvel magic compared to DC is always, they have a great sense of humor. They have the ability yes. to be aware of what's going on and make fun of it. You know, like the, in the trailer from the moment, the reason I wanted to see the movie was where his, his girlfriend kind of goes like, what happened to your shirt? And he goes, you know, it just is the, the hero with a perfectly chiseled body has to lose the shirt for the fight. Right. Well, there is no reason that he should. Have, you know what I mean? And then throughout the rest of the movie, he actually is in not armor, but more appropriate garb for the kind of fighting he's going to be doing and stuff like that. But they're very aware of you got to have those little moments of relief, of little humor to make up for it. Wow, this is a lot of people might die here. This is, you know, like the dweller in darkness stolen from Doctor Strange. So. That was kind of a funny, like, okay, that was an early Doctor Strange in the movie tie-in. And then when you find out that Wong is indeed going to be bringing him in as necessary, it's like, okay, they're doing an interesting crossover. Like, Doctor Strange is going to be perhaps the linchpin for the next series of Marvel. As compared to maybe Iron Man and the Avengers, Nick Fury being that. So I I like the fact that they're not being heavy-handed about it. They're just giving those little snippets or those little illusions and, you know, long-time fans get to go Easter egg, you know, that right, means right. more than you think it does. Anyway. Uh, anyone <laughs> listening, if you haven't watched What If, go watch What If. They are yeah. so worth <clears throat> it. And I loved, the two things I absolutely loved about Shang-Chi was you had the the sequence between the mother and father where it was very Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style fighting. But exactly. then when Shang-Chi was fighting, it was more Jackie Chan. And a great way and, to put it. Exactly. You know, and I love that because I, I, I've watched enough of Kung Fu and the old uh, Korean. And then he went to, and uh, you know, that type of thing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and they, 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 they nodded to that enough that it felt fun and was good. And the other thing I loved was I thought the dragons and the other creatures were so spot on for Chinese history. It that's was Jackie, exactly, Chinese fantasy that it's not, if you will, a Western dragon, that it's that it's yes. more of a snake and that it isn't only fire breathing and devastating the troops of men on horseback. No, like you're saying, it was they absolutely kept to the cultural motif, if you will, and that yes. was very welcome. Yes, yes. It and, and it, it, you know, <laughs> we don't need everything. I don't want everything to look Western, like a bunch of white Western guys made it. I want it to look different. I've talked about this with the books. I've got a few author friends that do like fantasy novels, but based in African mythology and African okay. gods. And I'm mm-hmm. like, we, I love that. I've read enough of the Tolkien books, <laughs> you know, all the wannabes. <laughs> I want something That's different. Right. It's actually very, I, I think I mentioned, I read a ton of mythology growing up. As much as I did comic books, I also read that. And I loved the fact that, like, Egyptian mythology is so different than Greco-Roman, than, than American Indian, than Hawaiian, than Norse. They each had their own, they kind of embody 
not the values, but the, let's say, some of the themes of what's going on if you're from a lush equatorial country versus a harsh Arctic country or area. You know what I mean? I'm saying with, do you think the gods are noble or do you think they're jerks? Do you think they interact with humanity in a benevolent or a malevolent way? And so I, I know that one of the things about reading a lot of mythology was it inoculated me to like every other um, creation myth, messiah myth, end of the world myth. Because like, well, why is that different than Ragnarok? Why is that better than Apollo? Why is that the right and, one? Why is that the right one? Exactly. And, and so I just I just read Norse mythology. Neil Gaiman did a retelling of the yes. main Norse myths with his own take. And so he writes very well. And he introduces some things like, you know, whenever you were in a thing where, hey, if you defeat the dragon, you get my daughter's hand in marriage, the daughter might have something to say about that. <laughs> Not just, hey, I'm happy to be your prize. I am chattel. And so he, he has all kinds of good things in there and his own sense of humor and his own like, here's why Loki is an interesting character, because even though he's really a dastard and brings on Ragnarok and stuff, but he also has sometimes done good or been forced to do good, and it's handy to have a clever guy around if he's on your side. And so he really shows that there's deeper themes going on there. You know what I mean? That there's it's not just who's got the bigger sword or hammer and, I don't know, an Odin making the sacrifices he did to become the All-Father. Um, that kind of thing in mythology as always, when you read a lot of that and then you see growing up, wow, people are really kind of like that. They really will, like Shang-Chi, do things for love in an obsessive way that's not healthy and maybe even not only for them, but damaging to lots of people around them. And how much do you let yourself get drawn into their orbit? How much, You know what I mean? And and that's we, we, romantic love, wonderful. Well, not if it's not both sides. You know what I mean? There's John, John Oliver has a, a great quote along those lines of like, it's kind of like, you know, if people, if both people haven't agreed to be in a boxing match, that's not a boxing match. That's assault. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so that's a lot of what goes on is so much mythology, I guess, written by guys, written for guys, so much the macho culture that has prevailed for a long time women really weren't treated. They were treated perhaps as clever. And sometimes they really are. There's great warriors. Sif is a great warrior, Red Sonia, whoever else it might be. But there's all kinds of conniving is all also going on. You know what I mean? In the Norse myths, there's not an enchantress, if you will, but definitely the various different goddesses have learned how to handle their men. You know what I mean? And, and how to handle their place in the world, that the competition with other women is just as fierce than two guys in a gladiatorial pit. You know what I mean? So those archetypes seeing how people that Shakespeare did it well, the Bible does it well, they really capture some of those things that are in people and sometimes not, they're beautiful and ugly and that you can see that play out in the world. You know what I mean? The first time that I had, I don't know, someone that just couldn't let something go, even though it wasn't healthy for them, whether it was an addiction or fandom or a romance or whatever like that. It's like, man, that's so much like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of funny to, to, you get forewarned is forearmed, but that's not really what I want to say here because it's not all damaging. It's as a young kid to be exposed to those things early and not necessarily getting them because you don't have enough life under your belt. But then as you grow up, you see, wow, uh, one of our neighbors is wacky in that way and good and bad. And and sometimes people are evil just because they're evil, and sometimes they're evil because they themselves were abused, and they don't have any other language to speak in. And so, I don't know, I 
I know I'm jumping around, but I think all things I said are important, that mythology, even while dealing with archetypes, those archetypes are there for a reason. Kind of, And archetypes is one step away from stereotypes. You know, like stereotypes are terrible if you depend and rely on only have them, but there's truth to be found in. If you see a pattern of behavior, there's nothing wrong with saying, I saw it 99 times. I'm kind of expecting number 100. You haven't prejudge them you judge them on evidence you right, know what i mean right, right. and you wouldn't do it because they're this you name it body type or color or you did it because you've seen it people often accuse others of prejudice where it's like no he's a criminal he did it he did it six times it is no wonder the society now says we might need to protect ourselves against a recidivist <laughs> it's not because they're any color flavor religion whatever else it might be anyway anyway right. <laughs> okay so, so shang chi i loved yes and okay. now there's trailers we i just saw <gasps> uh like the the trailer for the matrix looks pretty good you know, we're, we're stepping outside of comic books here but that that mythos created by the wachowski brothers now sisters is really cool and it's there's still stories to be told there and you and i i think you read but i actually i only got this by feel but you kind of confirmed it it sure looks like this is the sequel to the first movie not it to is. the third movie yeah. So it's yeah, not like fourth in the quadratology. It's they return to their favorite themes from the first one. Yeah, this is Matrix you know? Two essentially. Kind of. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a little disappointed because I didn't think the other two and three were horrible movies, but they definitely had a lot to live up to from the first one that I think didn't quite make it. Um, which I'm not sure where the downfall was, but yes, yeah. this looks very good. I'm glad they're doing it. My my guess is the theme that they're interested in exploring is instead of like the second and third, it's kind of like from alien to aliens and onwards, that as you get the conflict is bigger and there's more history and, and things involved, you lost sight of what the first movie was about was, is reality real? You know what I mean? This guy that thinks he's an office worker finds out that there is a rabbit hole that you could go down. Here's your red and your blue pill. And that's its own incredible journey and conflict is how many people are going to embrace it? How many people are going to shy away from it? And once you see, can you unsee it? And all those kinds of things. So I think that instead of it's a conflict with tentacled aliens, and you know what I mean, that when you reveal that people are human batteries and stuff like that, it, I don't think I'm doing any spoilers. Everybody's had a chance to see I, uh, I hope so. <laughs> you know? so, so If you have it, why are you interested in number four? <laughs> right, right. And I'll tell you, you know, so much of this is I just have a lot of affection for for Keanu Reeves. Yeah, he has just made guy. all his interesting choices. And for him to return to Bill and Ted, it really wasn't, oh boy, cop out exploitation. He needs some money. No, it really seemed that they had something else to say. Yeah. And, and with this, it sure seems that whatever the script that, that Lana Wachowski put together, I think she's the writer as well as the director that he said, I'll, I'll go there with you. I think this is a good story. Yeah. You know, I, I don't you know. Again, I don't know that, but it, my guess is he's had such, integrity in his choices i was just gonna say that a shitty movie he'll make what he thinks is gonna be a good movie, absolutely you know so yep. <laughs> so okay so talking about trailers yeah. by i the one i'm super excited about because okay because there's some star wars stuff coming up uh right. there's star wars right. visions which is kind of star wars version of what if i'm excited about that uh okay. the art looks amazing so i think that'll be great but the trailer i watched yesterday of hawkeye i was like this is my show. This is so me. <laughs> Everything about it was like perfect. It felt like Die Hard, and not just because it was at Christmas time. Yeah, you see, honestly, that's a, that is that's a great tie-in. 
I was late to Hawkeye. By that meeting, I had stopped buying comic books when that was coming out as a comic book, and I only discovered it by reading the graphic novels checked out from the library, if you will. And I was like, well, how cool is this that they found a way to, you know, some of the themes are he's not exactly winning. He's actually fallen on tough times. He's deaf. He's not in with the Avengers. He's kind of been, he's made enough mistakes that he's kind of on the outs as a superhero. And yet here's this woman who is kind of a protege, but kind of a replacement pushing him out. What's the relationship that they established? And there's all, and, and I, I, they didn't, I don't know that they showed this directly or made an allusion to it in the trailer, but like the main villain is Russian mobsters in tracksuits. Like, you know what I mean? Like, wow, that's a pretty f- big fall, if you will, from Thanos the, the Melter or something like that in right. Iron Man. But having said that, the, the books are, the comics are really well done with, just like Daredevil fought in Hell's Kitchen, not everything has to be cosmic. Not everything has to be overblown. Sometimes what really matters is he has, he takes a stand and fights crime and, and he has maybe a couple nemeses and I'm very much looking forward to what they do to distill down. I think it was Matt Fraction, right, that wrote these, that, that they yeah, distilled down what he did with all the knowledge that he had of previous Hawkeye. And then here's kind of Hawkeye struggling to be a hero again, right. uh, struggling to deal with. You know, I didn't agree that you were going to be my replacement. You know what I mean? There's there's a very interesting dynamic that it's not standard Batman and Robin, that it's more like, hey, give me a moment here. I'm not done yet. Yeah. Yeah, but and here's spoilers. There's a very good chance Hawkeye does not survive this series. Uh, Jeremy Renner Hawkeye, at least. That's and that. Thank you. I, I knowing that it's a series instead of a movie that also gives all these cool things a chance to play out and little cliffhangers and little reveals leading up to the end. I hadn't read that. I hadn't read. You know, I know that they're bringing on next versions of the Marvel universe, and in some cases kind of clear the decks a little bit yeah yeah i I don't know for sure i mean i'm speculating uh that's kind of what happened uh kate bishop took over in the comics right right so there's a good chance we'll see that's i i'm very interested i really will just like i i loved wandavision i loved captain america the winter soldier and it's not i don't even know how how excellent that they are i just love that they're doing this in a serial fashion with production values money's being thrown at it the actors that they're bringing in are good i just i love seeing comic books made real it's really cool to me it's very satisfying for you know growing up in the 60s 70s 80s where it's like well it's no wonder they can't make a good movie it's kind of like seeing godzilla with a zipper in his suit you, you can't really yeah, yeah. portray you know without great cgi some right. of the cool things that go on in comics how do you show a super speedster without getting to where you can portray that that doesn't look totally cornball right you know? so, I, I definitely have some issues with disney as a corporation and i do not think Every franchise they've got, they handle well. Star Wars, I could go on for a long time about that yeah. one. Uh, it sure seems that they're loving Kevin Feige and the Marvel crew do what they know yes. how to do. That all there is like, hey, we own you, so send us a little bit of money. But otherwise, just keep making Pixar movies, keep making Marvel movies. They've done a good job at hands-off management. In some yes, and, and I think it would have really ruined things to do a lower-budget pull in different actors for the same characters, but say it's connected or something. Yeah. yeah. That would have ruined it a lot. So I'm glad they're not doing that. And I think even with star Wars, I think they're starting to get an idea of what they screwed up. I just don't know how they're going to fix it. I mean, they already got rid of the, 
the original canon, all the books and comics. And that I guess that's why I can read the Marvel comics and see the movies and keep them separate because I've got to do that with Star Wars. And Very I'm much. really not yeah. even interested that much anymore in the newest canon and all that. I mean, yeah. Colin will ask me a question and I'm like, I don't know. I haven't read this stuff because <laughs> honestly, I don't care anymore about the new stuff. <laughs> I got to tell you, I think one of the reasons that I really like The Mandalorian is because it has that smaller scale than everything has to be a redo. Oh, we're going to attack Death Star 2. We're going to have another empire conflict. I like the fact that he, it's a little bit like Firefly, where he finds himself on various different missions on different planets with different races and whatever else it might be, and that that they're developing the character instead of being all the assumptions, all the history that's already gone into Solo and Skywalker and everything else that you kind of have to honor. You know what I mean? That instead it was like Mandalorian, who, who's that? And they, they reveal it over the course of time. I also think that John Favreau really knows what he's doing. We talked about yeah. this before that he, there's certain people that when you give Simon Pegg, like the, the, the reins, he really knows how to do a good version of things. Same with Joss Whedon, same with maybe Christopher Nolan, that there's some people that have, they are, they're not comic book lovers enough. They're not, mythical epic enough there you know what i mean it depends on what kind of movie you're making if you want to make a gritty noir thriller get the guy that's really good at that not the one that makes sitcoms for a living right you know what right, I mean? right. So, and so having said that have you seen the trailer for carnage slash venom yes oh i hate them <laughs> i here, here's my okay you know, yeah, i want to hear what, what do you hate i because so, gina liked the first car or venom movie and see, she's excited for this one i think that here's what I think I think, and I'll just kind of talk through and you'll see where I, where it blows up. I don't like where they don't have internal logic and consistency. I think that the whole idea of symbiotes and their ability to alter someone's physiology in ridiculous ways, the stretched mouths and the distorted body types and everything. And yet in other places, they've gone to great lengths to explain, well, there's, um, mass is retained and it only shifts around because it's unstable molecules or whatever else it might be. That instead they just threw all the rules out and said, we just want something icky. We just want something scary and spooky. And you get to poke people's eyes out and you get to like, you have some pseudo spider powers, but it's not because the radioactive thing, it's because the thing is gooey. And I just, they broke conventions that were so interestingly established that every time that it's kind of like seeing Frank Robbins artwork. I'm not sure. Just, I just saw a little discussion on this. He just doesn't, everything is so distorted. Everything is so unbelievable that it's actually a distraction from my ability to enjoy the comic book. Captain America doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? These villains don't look like that. There's kind of established spec sheets they have for right. if you <laughs> show the red skull. He, doesn't look like a donkey with a mask on. He, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm so that those movies just seem to be so much what people who don't like comic books will complain about. That makes no sense. That doesn't look right. That's BS. It's not. And like, I, from what I remember of the first movie's plot, like Eddie Brock and whatever, it was plot light. There wasn't anywhere near what they developed in the comic books about how tortured he was for having taken this thing on. And it just was a chance to like have violence. You know what I mean? Like I ultra violence, a little bit of what they've done with Deadpool is he's this smirking guy that happens to kill people. And yet everybody falls in love with them. And I just, there's some step over the line that they take where 
wow, I really am feeling this is exploitative violence. Out of all the movies that I would like, if were I a father and was trying to judge for my kids what movies they should be able to see, I have no problems with them seeing adult themes, big thoughts, kind of like expand themselves. But I sure have a problem with evisceration, grisly and stupid and exploitative. And that's, these are not for kids by any stretch. And that weird line of comic books have gotten in trouble for 50 years, 70 years, over well that's not for kids but comic books are not all richy rich but they don't have to be the worst of things either and these are the kinds of things that are going to have the parent saying i can't believe that they made that movie and they didn't warn me with a label of some kind that really to see someone get turned inside out or whatever the right, right. going to happen in these movies so well, i don't like <laughs> I, 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 my thing with uh i haven't seen the new movie obviously but uh from my understanding, Sony still is part of this and controls it. When when they loaned Spider-Man to the MCU, they were right. hands-off. They Basically, the agreement was just give us our percentage and here's Spider-Man. And Tom Holland and Spider-Man, he's been great in the movie. Right. Andy Garfield, exactly. Yeah. Carnage, they've, or I mean Venom, they've kept some control over it. So I think the Japanese haven't figured it out. You know, they, they haven't figured out how to make a great movie. And it feels well, that's a very interesting thought. Their idea of a dystopian future, they're they're all the manga, it really has often much rougher themes than yes. America. That's a very interesting thought. Yeah. Okay. Plus, I mean, if you want to compare, this is kind of like the DC movie of the Marvel universe. <laughs> you know, I mean it, interesting. It just, it, it, it was like, okay, I saw it. It doesn't mean as much. It's not as good as the other stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I, I just, I, well, I'm, so I'm getting ready to do my first session of my yes. comic book history for um, Baldwin Wallace's, you know, uh, Institute of Learning and Retirement. I got six sessions starting Thursday, running for six weeks. And I, I already have a couple of them in the can from talks I previously presented. What I wanted to do with the first one was the, a barnstorming tour through the history of comic books. Well, trying to put 90 years worth of comic books into 60 minutes is ridiculous. And so I'm just, I'm making so many concessions to, if I just make a list of all things that I really need to talk about, you have to talk about Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. You have to talk about Spider-Man Fantastic Four. But then it's like, but then I just jumped from the 30s to the 60s. I really got to go back and fill in. There were EC comics. There was the Golden versus the Silver Age versus the Bronze Age. There's, you know, Black and White Explosion. I just I made a big outline of all the things I want to include. And it's like, I would have to go supersonic in order to get through all this. Can I show enough illustrations? It's going to be really tough. It'll be a ridiculously compressed, many things left out version like it makes me want to say what I should have said. I'm going to do the history of comic books in six sessions and kind of handle it like two decades each. Right, right. Or maybe compress some things together because it wasn't as interesting, if you will. But having said that, the um, even that, talking about the themes of comic books, as I'm talking about, like, there really was an innocence in 1930s going into 40s comic books, but there wasn't. We were at war. And so how do we portray that? And in the 50s, it was like, well, you know, we had a lot more bug-eyed monsters and science fiction-y type themes because we were scared about radiation. But we also had McCarthyism, and yet they couldn't show government corruption because of the comics code and the seduction of the innocent. And so it's actually going to be a very interesting thing to talk about how comic books have perpetually illustrated the times, predated the times, 
talked about your big issues like science fiction does without having to say McCarthyism right. is bad. They're, they've been an excellent vehicle for continually commenting on what is a hero? What is the right. villain? What is the world? Let's, let's talk about racism by giving them mutant powers. They're well, mutants. That. Exactly yeah. that. Boy, these guys are, the, you can just have the same placards up for what's wrong with mutants as you can with any number yep. of minorities that you want to savage. You know what I mean? So Minority it, of the week. Very interesting to get through things. And like, I know there's going to be people in the class that's like, we didn't even talk about Captain Marvel. It's like, you're right. You know what I mean? He was a big thing. And I know, I know I'm going to because I have to at least mention there was a competitor to Superman, the big red cheese, and he actually sold more at the time. And one of the things I want to say, here's a so pop quiz. So who's the best-selling comic book publisher today? So for most people, they would go, well, it's got to be Marvel or DC, yeah. right? It's Viz. Really? It does all the manga and like by uh. tenfold. Wow, by yeah. 10 times that when you go into uh, 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 Borders, Barnes and Noble, I guess Borders is now gone. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like books a million. There's a section of all various different publishers for comic books. And there's a whole aisle of nothing. Yeah, but yeah you're right. You know yeah. What I mean? And, and they, it, they've been going for a long time. They're very, very popular. It's as adult reading as child reading over there in Japan and the, the Asian countries in general. It's just amazing. And they, the, there's great series. There's great heroes about which I just don't know enough. It's never been to my taste. Whatever that style of artwork or those kinds of themes, I I was so much into American kind of books that I continually kind of compared them and said, I like this better. But man, if I wanted to immerse myself, I've got the rest of my life oh. reading. I'd oh, go yeah. to all the things and say, so what are the top 100 series that I could read? And there really are 100 great series, you know, 10 and 20 and 50 and 100 were great characters, great future histories, great historical retellings. I've read Lone Wolf and Cub. I've read certain things because they kind of leaked into right, the yeah, yeah. first things imported. And some of them I really liked. And some of them were like, man, this issue 30 is kind of like issue number one. They're going at soap opera pace where there's just not enough happening and changing over the course of time. And they're losing my interest. And I don't usually feel that from comic books. But for whatever reason, I did feel that from any number of manga that I tried out. So, so yeah. I, I didn't know. I, well, I, they're, they're <laughs> making a uh, big. wow. <laughs> they're making a live action uh, Cowboy Bebop, mm -hmm. which I'm excited about because I liked that show. It was a show, uh, right? Which I liked. Uh, so I'm excited about that. So and that's true. Not only manga, it's anime. You know what I mean? The fact it, that there's a huge tie-in between the printed and the animated yeah. there as well, and so. We'll see about that. The fact that we're getting high quality animation now with what if and various other things and which have definite uh, leanings at times, definite influence from some of that. Exactly. Uh, so, well, I, well, you have to tell me all about it next week. I am going to be in Tennessee this weekend. I've got a writer's conference. Uh, J.D. Barker's going to be there. So I actually get to like say hi to him in person. Exactly. Uh, He's then, been one of your, your mentors, right? Your, yeah. your consultants, if you will. Very good. Good for so you. It'll be an interesting uh, week. I'm trying to go to a couple uh, uh, bookstores to do a little video uh, on some of them. So we'll see. Good for you. In fact, I'll, I'll say now, and this is, you know, um, next Tuesday is probably not going to be good for me to do a session because we are doing, oh, my God, a little trip. All right. Our, our anniversary is next Tuesday, and we really wanted to do something special. So what we're doing is going to upstate New York, and we're going to be a couple of days in Rochester at the Strong Museum of Play and seeing some suffragette coolness and touching Lake Ontario. And then we're going down to Ithaca and doing a whole bunch of hiking because 
its gorges is its theme, if you will. There's all kinds of beautiful things in the Finger Lakes and hiking and stuff like that. And that'll take us from like Saturday to Wednesday. So A, I'd like to, we'll, we'll put off until later in the week if we could. And B, anybody who's listening to this, please don't come to my house because I have attack dogs that will tear you apart. I've seen those attack dogs. You That's right. You know, I, I got my neighbor coming in. Join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of so, the week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have well, a wonderful if, time in Tennessee. <laughs> if you have any cool geeky little things, do a little video. We'll throw them up on our YouTube thing. Little you know, tidbits. I will definitely at least report on what we see at the strong. Apparently, it's it's really a cool place. It really is. Yeah, it sounds cool. and games and kids and adults and that kind of stuff. I've always wanted to go there, and it was like, well, how about now? Someday, how about now? Let's go. Let's go try this out. And we just need to get away a little bit. We're going to be masked up. We're going to be careful. We're not going to eat out. We're going to get take in and whatever else to pick up. But we just we really need to go. Like, let's go for a walk in the forest. I don't know if the leaves will be changing yet. Yeah. I think they won't. And yet, out in nature is really a a refresher and a revitalizer. Absolutely. All right, so, man. Well, we'll right. keep in touch and see Take care. Up. Say Have hi to class. Open. All right. Very good. <laughs> Thanks. Okay.